Well, for those of us who uh, still remain, I want to encourage you, grab your Bible, each and every one of you, and uh, turn to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. We're going to be wrapping up um, the next few plagues, uh, but we are not going to be hitting the big daddy of them all, um, the final plague. So chapter 9. Hear these words from God's holy and inspired word. Then the Lord said to Moses, go in, go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall on every, uh, with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the, in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in the sores on men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils became upon the magicians and upon all the upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now you have put out, I have put out, put out, out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you have become have been cut off from the earth but for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth you are still exalting in yourself against my people and will not let them go behold about this time tomorrow I will cause every a very heavy hail to fall such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls upon them. Then whoever feared 
Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire rained down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continuing in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there, were no, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron said to them, This time I have sinned, and the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer, Moses said to him. As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants... I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain was no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they will cover the face of the land so that they will cover so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and your houses of your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, 
we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds, but we must, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for, uh, for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land, the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the, whole counts, on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord, your God, only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let his people go. Finally, the ninth. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us as well. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. This is the word of the Lord. So if you ever ask, and be honest with yourself, and be honest with me and everyone else in here, have you ever asked the question, what is God trying to tell me? It's whatever circumstance in your life, wherever you're finding yourself in, in some season of your life, have you ever asked the question, what in the world is God trying to tell me? 
What is he trying to say about this situation and what is going on here? Typically, we find ourselves asking this question in the midst of difficulty and, or a painful situation where it's just like, man, why here? Why now? This is almost unbearable. What is God trying to tell me? It is often a cry of a person who is feeling the press of a hard circumstance and he or she is looking to find purpose or meaning in what is, try, what is happening in their life. And I need to admit to you that I have asked that question. What is God doing? And there's times I really do not know the answer. What is God doing in my life? I have no clue. There are times when God's purposes and his, the circumstances just do not seem to be clear at all for me. There are times where, where I've called it kind of the dark side of God's will. Where it's just painful. When you don't know that there's a lesson or reason behind whatever is happening. And it's just not clear. But there are other moments when the circumstances of divine providence line up so clearly that it is not hard to see at all the connection of what God is doing. People have asked me the question of, well, how do you know whether or not you're being disciplined by God? My answer is, oh, you'll know. Like a child, when they've been caught by something, they know when they're being disciplined. In other words, there are moments when you are clearly heading down the wrong path or not in a good place spiritually, and God allows things to happen in your life to become difficult, or He takes things away that are becoming way too important to you. The book of 1 Peter describes this moment in this way, that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The divinely designed difficulty targets the very important question that every human being has to answer who is your god everyone in this room no matter where you are in this journey towards christ you have got to ask who is my god you see, behind the difficulties, behind the challenges, behind the oppositions, behind the hardship that we face are fundamental questions such as, who is in control of life? Who gets to set the rules? Who should be obeyed? And who is God? These questions are the questions that Pharaoh is dealing with in chapters 7 through 12. And he is confronted with circumstances that he cannot control and which are challenging his sense of confidence, trust, and pride. God and Pharaoh are in a battle of wills. And the ten plagues are a means by which God is deconstructing this powerful ruler. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has told Pharaoh what he is to do. Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Let them go. And his failure to submit to God's command is creating more and more and more pressure. God's aim and purpose is clearly identified in, in Exodus 9, 16 and 17, where it says, For this is my purpose that I've raised you up, to show you my power 
so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So God's purpose in raising up Pharaoh and allowing these things to be done is so that God's name, this story is going to be told around the world. And so far we've seen this this conflict in the first four plagues. We've seen God challenge the Egyptian worldview and their worship of the Nile and turning it into blood. We've seen this army of frogs assault them in every way, which was their goddess of fertility. We've learned about the annoying presence of gnats or mosquitoes or lice. We've learned about this invasion of flies and each plague built upon another. And there is a clear message behind them all. God is supreme over all rivals. God is supreme. And so God, through Moses, God through Moses, He is attacking the gods of Egypt, their national pride, their national security, and their understanding of created order, and Pharaoh's pride all at one time. And God is bringing deliverance to His people through judgment. The plagues are tearing Egypt apart and bringing Pharaoh to his knees. God is delivering His people and humbling Pharaoh through the plagues. And today, we are turning our attention to the last five plagues before we come to the tenth and final judgment, the death of the firstborn. We're going to look at these, and then we're going to turn and learn about our relationship with the Creator of the universe. The death of the livestock. This fifth plague involves a final warning from Moses to Pharaoh. And like the previous warnings, Pharaoh is clearly told what he must do. And he is told in advance what is going to happen. We hear this command, let my people go so that they may serve me. And this is, this is the essence of the problem. God and Pharaoh are in a battle as to who is worthy of the Israelite service. God is essentially telling Pharaoh that the people do not belong to him at all. And that they should be serving the God of the Hebrews. So the plagues build on one another. And they're going from worse to worse. From bad to absolutely ugly. You can even see this with the magicians. Because they're attributing the plague of the flies to the finger of God. But now, in this plague, the term hand of God is used. So from the finger of God, now to the hand of God... And in Scripture, it often refers to substantial acts of judgment. God is bringing down the judgment. I think about how I was raised as a kid, and maybe this is your case, and this is not a knock on my mom, but when my mom tried to discipline us, it was kind of one of these situations. Uh Uh-uh, no, no. Wait till Dad comes home. There's a little trembling a little bit of fear. When dad came home, the hand of judgment made me tremble. So it's going from one degree to another degree. And God is saying, listen, you need to listen and obey because the costliness of the plague is going to become essentially more dramatic as time goes on. And God will continue to make this distinction also between Egypt and Israel. Pharaoh will see the devastating hand of God while at the same time seeing God's favor on his people. 
So there was this terrible devastation of the livestock. Just a terrible plague on, on the, uh, all the livestock in their field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. Basically anything that has hooves, any kind of animal, done, obliterated. Now, in our modern day, unless you've come from a farming culture, this is kind of hard to understand this. But what is happening here is this widespread destruction of livestock means that their whole culture was going to be changed for generations. Generations. Livestock were the main means of transportation, commerce, agriculture, clothing, food, Can you imagine how culturally devastating it would be to have the centerpiece of your daily life nearly destroyed? Every animal dead. In fact, the livestock were so important to the Egyptian life that they had a livestock god. And this particular goddess was Hathor. She was one of the most important deities throughout the history of ancient Egypt. She was depicted as a cow goddess with a head of horns, with the sun in the middle. And she was attributed to the powers of fertility as well as powers connected to the sky. Therefore, a plague involving the livestock and a plague that didn't affect Israel would have been a scary possibility. It would have said that even their gods are turning against them. Another Egyptian god was humiliated and their economy was devastated. And on top of this, it was not just the devastation that was frightening. It is the fact that God controlled the timing that it was going to happen. It wasn't just an outbreak that started happening in the the herds. It was an immediate, this is when it's going to happen. So God struck the cattle while sparing even the Israelites. Did you notice that? God is going to spare the Israelites. So could you imagine what it looked like if you were standing on the boundary of Goshen, the land where the Israelites were living, and where Egypt was? Every animal over there is alive and healthy and reproducing. Everything over here is totally decimated. But even after that, Pharaoh still refused to obey the command of God. Disobedience was proving to be very costly. And the reality is, it's true for us as well. Disobedience towards God proves to be very costly. The next plague is uh, directed uh, to affect human beings, and it was delivered unannounced, which is the pattern of every, every third plague. It involved this painful thing called boils, a skin infection. It's, in the Hebrew, it's, its meaning comes from another word which means to be hot. I have never had a boil in my life. Never. But from what I hear, if you've ever had a boil, you know when you have one. It is painful. And often people may have one or two. But here, it describes it as covering their whole body. Their entire body was covered with these boils. And there's also this strange connection between grabbing soot from the kilns and throwing it into the air. And uh, historians, commentators believe that this is directly connected to 
when Pharaoh said, no, you must no longer, uh, we will no longer give you the straw and we'll no longer give you the stuff for it. You must make your own bricks. Moses is now casting judgment by throwing the soot in the air from these kilns. And it was so devastating. Did you notice what happened to the magicians? They could not even stand in the presence. Those who were once replicating all these plagues are now unable to even stand before Moses. The plague of the boils has made them helpless and powerless. There's also religious significance to this. Egypt, like most ancient Near East countries, viewed skin infections as religious impurity. The people are now impure. The plagues are getting closer and closer and closer to the center of Egyptian life. And yet Pharaoh refuses to repent. Verse 12 tells us that God hardened his heart and he refused to listen. (laughs) The seventh plague is is the first of the last set of judgments. And with it we see an increase in intensity and irreversibility of what transpires. But with this plague, when, when it hits, God issues a lengthy warning. In verses uh, 13 through 19, God says, listen, I, I'm giving you the heads up that this is going to be happening. And when I give you the heads up, your people need to get out of the fields, find cover, get your animals out of, co- out of, out of the open land, because when this hits, there will be death. And there's a number of things to observe from this. God is highlighting his mercy to Pharaoh in that he could have destroyed them long ago. And God has also issued a warning for people and animals not to be outside when the plague comes. So even in judgment, there's mercy. Verse 16 gives us again a summary of God's purpose to display his power and to proclaim His name. And we also see that Pharaoh's central problem is his pride. Pharaoh would not obey the Lord, but many of his his people did when they heard about this warning. Verses 20 and 21 identify another division in the land between those who feared the word of the Lord and those who did not. Part of Egypt began to submit to God's judgment while others were just obstinate and foolish and they refused to heed the warnings. Does it sound like us sometimes? We know, we hear, but yet we refuse. We're obstinate. We are hard-headed. Whatever. I just want to do my thing. We become obstinate and foolish. And so the plague of hail decimated the land while again sparing the land of Egypt where Israel lived. And if you skip to verse 31, there's this strange kind of side note in parentheses where it was so destructive because it happened when the plants were first coming up. The plague came at a terrible time. And there are, there's again a religious significance here. Weather disturbances were viewed as the language of the gods. In fact, the Egyptian god Seth was considered, don't name your child Seth, uh, the 
Egyptian god Seth was considered the god of wind and storms, and therefore it would have felt as if the sky was falling down on them, and a sense of divine judgment has just intensified. And again, what happened? It seemed like Moses or Pharaoh got the message, right? This time I have sinned. The Lord is right, and me and my people were in the wrong. Plead with God. Plead with Him to forgive me. And I'll let you go. But once again, when the pressure was lifted, what happened? Hardened heart. I won't let Him go. Plague 8 is equally devastating. And there's a sense that creation is just coming apart at the seams. And that the powers of the created order are set against Egypt. Again, these locusts come in from the east and whatever is left, whatever ounce of hope that they had, anything green is now gone. Gone. So when they came, Moses again said, or Pharaoh said, please, Remove these. He feigned another statement of repentance and God withdrew the locusts by driving them into the Red Sea. I think that's ironic because later they're going to be passing through the Red Sea. But as soon as the pressure was off, Pharaoh again refused to let the people go. He seemed to be on a path of personal and national destruction. And despite the obvious connection between the painful consequences and his stubborn heart, he refuses to humble himself before the God of the Hebrews. The hardness of his heart almost seems unstoppable. God is clearly sending Moses or Pharaoh a message, but he did not listen. The last plague we're going to look at this morning, the final warning before the ultimate plague came without warning and it was a clear statement about the important Egyptian god. Like many cultures, the Egyptians worshipped the sun. Historically, his name was Ra. And he was viewed as the creator of all forms of life. And since the sun provided light, warmth, and growth, it is hard to overestimate his importance in the Egyptian worldview. Therefore, when the plague of darkness came, it would not only make life difficult, but it would cause the people to feel as though life was completely out of control. In verse 21, God described this plague as a darkness to be felt. I don't know if you've ever gone caving where there is no light and it's a heavy darkness it's not like the you're in the closet and a little bit of light is there it, it is the total absence of light that is being described here for three days everything in Egyptian life stopped people were isolated people were cut off the plague had now personally impacted everyone and everything egypt was being judged and pharaoh was being judged and the people must have felt the individualization of this plague they were all alone in the darkness and once again 
Pharaoh tried to broker a deal by suggesting that the people could leave, but they had to leave all their livestock behind. And he likely wanted some kind of leverage that would say that they would come back. But once again, Moses refused to compromise. The ninth plague ends with an emotionally charged statement from Pharaoh. Nine times he was told to obey God. And nine times he refused. The Nile, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness have been all sent to break this man down to listen and obey. And yet he refuses to humble himself. In arrogant anger, he says, get away from me. Take care to never see my my face again. For on that day you see my face, you shall die. Can you hear just the rage and the anger of a pride-filled man? Pharaoh's world is falling apart around him. And he refuses to listen to what God is trying to tell him, despite what should be so very obvious. His hardened heart has become self-destructive. So if you would look back on your own life and be honest and spend some time recording the the plagues that God has sent you. I'm sure none of us have experienced, you know, uh, all of our animals killed by, by some kind of plague. We haven't experienced hail that totally decimated the land. We haven't had locusts that just covered the whole earth and ate everything green. But I'm talking about the moments when God has turned your idols against you. The things that you feel are so very important and worthy of your time, your talents, and your praise to the cost of worshiping God and God alone. Maybe maybe it's a a relationship which has been all-consuming. Maybe it's been a desire that has made you just so hate people. Maybe it's a purchase that you have regretted for years. Maybe it's a career that has become more important to anything else. Maybe it's a sense of family pride that has trumped everything else. Or maybe a longing to be loved that almost cost you your marriage. If you look back on your life, Or maybe you look at your life right now. I'm sure you can find many such plagues. Think about the way which God has tried to get your attention. And the ways that He has tried to wake you up from self-destruction. Or a state of just self-delusion. What is God saying this morning? When I I read the story of Pharaoh, Egypt, and the ten plagues, it's it's easy to read this and go, okay, that's just a really nice uh, Sunday school kind of story or something that we hear at VBS or it's good for the kids downstairs. You know, it's really nice to hear about this big threatening ominous God, but what does it have to do with me? When I hear these stories, 
And even how God said, listen, I want, to, I want you to be re- able to retell this to your sons and your grandsons. I want you to be able to tell this to future gener- generations. When I read these stories, I cannot help but think about the ways that God has mercifully gotten my attention over the years. And in light of what we've seen in Exodus today, I want you to ask yourself, what is God saying? What is God saying? And I want you to ask yourself, why am I even here today? What is God saying? I don't want one man, woman, or child to walk out today without knowing who is God and what ultimately is your purpose here in this world. So let me summarize for you what this text tells us about God, our lives, and the gospel. First, this is the first thing, Connor. God's supremacy is the ultimate goal of everything. The purpose of Exodus is is the same purpose in creation, which is the same purpose in redemption, which is the same purpose for the new heavens and the new earth. Since there is nothing more glorious and beautiful than the glory of God, His radiance, His beauty, His power, His character, since there is nothing more great than God Himself, there is nothing, no one, more worthy of our honor, our worship, and our obedience than Him. God's supremacy is the ultimate goal of everything in our life. Of your marriage, of the way you raise your kids, of the way you use your finances, everything. How you use your gifts. God's supremacy, Him ruling and reigning and being glorified in all things is the goal of our life. Anything short of that is sin and disobedience. The aim of everything is to magnify Him and glorify Him. Any attempts to magnify anything else as equal to Him by virtue or by affection or obedience is sin. Anytime that you elevate your marriage over God, anytime you elevate your job, your children, your friends, your peers, your desire, your your need for esteem, anytime you raise that above God, it is a sin. God is supreme. And He is supreme over all other rivals because there is no one like Him. Period. Maybe I should say exclamation point. Secondly, and hear this, goodness and hardship are meant to point us to Him. The Apostle Paul said that the kindness of God is meant to lead us towards what? Repentance. In other words, all the good things that we receive from God, everything that we receive and God's patience with us is meant to lead us to gratitude such that we would turn away from trusting ourselves. But hardship has the same effect. Again, the Apostle Paul said that when he he experienced great hardship, that he thought he 
to the extent that he thought he was going to die, that it was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians 1.9 Life was to such a point of he was despairing of his own life. But listen, even that was for the purpose so that I'm not relying on myself, but I'm relying on God. So when it has all hit the fan in your life, what is the purpose in that moment? Not to grab onto your spouse. Not to grab onto your job. Not to grab onto your children. Anything that has meaning in your life, you are to turn and trust in God. In other words, everything, whether blessing or bruising, is meant to turn us to God. And the message to Pharaoh is the same message to us. Know that He is God. And the last point. And this is a hard one for us. Because everyone hates this one. Brokenness is the starting point. Our culture tells us the starting point is your self-worth, right? Self-esteem. Just ask Oprah. You know? Or Joel Osteen. A bigger, better you. You know? But brokenness is the starting part. Throughout, throughout the plagues, as we watch Pharaoh become more and more isolated and more and more stubborn, you, you almost want to beg him, right? It's like, you idiot. Lay aside your pride and become a broken man before God. All God is saying is, listen and obey. That's all God is saying. But brokenness is frightening because it means that you are ultimately giving up control. And all of us love control, don't we? Man, I, I love control in my marriage. I love control in my workplace. I love control of my finances. I love control of my destiny and my future. I want to control my kids and where they're going and how my business is going to work out. I want to control all those things. But the Gospel says you must come to the end of yourself. Done with you. Come to the end of yourself. Jesus said, listen, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he also said that unless you come as helpless as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Brokenness is where a relationship with God begins. You see, I, I think I can confidently tell everyone in this room that God is trying to get your attention. Maybe today you are finally listening. You've been in church buildings your entire life. You could probably spout off Bible verses because you've been in cadets, Calvinettes, Awana, you name whatever ministry it is. You could just spout off all this stuff. But finally today, today you are here God and he has your attention and if he does maybe today should be the day that you really put your faith in Christ to save you from your own self-destruction from the plagues of your own making or if you have already received him perhaps you need to keep turning from things which will never, ever really satisfy. 
God delivers his people through the judgment of his son and the humbling of sinners who come to the end of themselves and turn to Jesus Christ as their only hope. That's the good news. That when we come to the end of ourselves and understand what a wretched mess you are, you turn and you see Christ, your rescuer, and you say, yes, I can no longer do this on my own. Save me. If that is for you today, it is simply an acknowledgement of saying, Lord, I need you. How I need you. Every hour, I need you. Save me. I'm placing my faith in you because you and you alone are trustworthy. And I'm going to fall again. You are the only one that is a solid rock in this world. Who is your God? And what is God saying to you this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our prayer this morning is that we need you. Oh, how we need you. Every hour, every moment, every second, we need you. So Father God, would you at this moment open our ears and our hearts to receive all that you have said to us. And may we receive it as good news that we no longer have to be lost and broken and wandering around in this darkness that is heavy and felt all around us. That we can turn to You and that we can run to You. And our promises are for today and for tomorrow and for eternity if we say yes to Jesus. So God, give us hearts that respond. With a yes to Jesus, with lives of praise and worship to the one who deserves it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.